Hey everybody, it's the Clarification Podcast. I'm your host, James Clary, along with my friend and executive producer, Russell West. How are you doing, Russell? Good, how are you doing, Good, James? man. Good. So we're talking about 9-11, and the first show, we kind of covered Project Hammer, the $240 billion that the Bushies and their cabal borrowed. That was due on the 12th of September, the day after the attacks, and how the attack allowed the confusion in the securities and financial markets and the emergency powers called by the SEC and other governmental agencies, how it allowed for the confusion to get rid of these securities in a way that there wouldn't leave a trail. So now we're going to talk about the investigations. And in the last part, so now we're going to get into more of the details on the actual evidence that 9-11 was not, as you saw in the video by James Corbett at the start of this, you know, the attack was not as the government said. I mean, that's the bottom line. You either believe the official story or you believe the thousands of hard evidence and facts that denies the official story. Contradictions, too. Total contradictions. There's quite a few of those that just... How do you explain this? How do you explain this? If this is all true, then what about this? You know, it just, it's over and over. With this. Exactly. And you know, when you think about it, this was the largest event probably in your life. Wouldn't you say your age? Yeah, what are you? Absolutely. 30, 20, 30, 30, 30 31, 32. I'll be 32 this year. Okay. So you're 32. Uh, you were basically 10. I was 11, 11 I think, when it happened. Yeah, and, and I mean, great. I know you remember it, mm-hmm. being 11. Mm-hmm. This was probably, people your age, the most important event in your life. And a lot of people compare it to kind of like Pearl Harbor. You yeah. Know, it was uh, it was pretty big. Everybody knows where they were when it happened. It's probably the closest you can find to that. Pearl Harbor, the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. No, for, the but for our generation, there hasn't been, like, nobody knows. It's like, where were you when this right. happened? It's always been 9-11 and... And it's so the historical Im- importance of this event, its significance can't be underplayed. I mean, it's hugely significant. And the fact that the government still sticks to this official story and most of media, you know, the Mockingbird media plays along with it. It's this mm. constant flow of propaganda. And thousands of websites have been created in the aftermath of 9-11 and Literally, online investigators and professionals from law enforcement, architects, and engineers for 9-11 Truth, they've poured over this evidence. At the same time, there's been thousands of websites debunking the so-called evidence. Right, or or, uh, just kind of corroborating the official story, more or less. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I just pulled a YouTube video up the other day. Five claims of conspiracy theorists for 9-11 debunked, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just in reading it, the very first one is jet fuel doesn't melt steel. And anyway, I, I did a long comment on it. <clears throat> That's not what people claim. So they frame the issue in a certain way so they can debunk it. Anyway, we'll get into that. So the major invest today, we're going to talk mainly about the investigation we're also going to tie more threads together with specific people that were involved in both the attacks pre and after the investigation so the major investigation was called the 9-11 commission report now if you remember after every seminal event in history including uh, pearl harbor as you mentioned Congress, there's always some investigative committee. Mm-hmm. And it's usually done to whitewash the events and tell it in a way that matches the government story. So first of all, President Bush, who was uh, obviously president during 9-11 and when the 9-11 Commission report was started and finished, Bush resisted the calls for a commission to investigate it for over 400 days. And it was primarily pushed by the family members. The family members had questions. And I'm saying family members of people that died. Remember, over 3,000 people died mm-hmm. on 9-11 in the attacks. Well, these family members had questions like, well, if it, you know, if it was a plane that brought down the building, how was a steel frame building able to collapse in its footprint? And one of the main questions they had was about Building 7, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Building 7 was the third building that completely collapsed in its footprint at free fall speed. And that's really important. So 
I'm sure our listeners know this, but free falls, if you, you drop an object from here, say a hammer, it falls at a certain rate. That's called free fall. If there's no resistance to it, mm-hmm. you know, if you dropped a, uh, a balloon or a healing balloon, wouldn't drop at all. But, you know, if something that has resistance, a sail or something's not going to drop as fast. These buildings fell at free fall speed, which means there was no resistance. You've got to remember that all of these buildings, building one, two, and seven that collapsed were steel framed buildings. And I think we showed last week on another topic, we showed a picture of the the actual frames of these buildings if you can imagine steel girders literally this big around two feet across that ran up inside of the buildings now steel at this moment is one of the strongest metals that we have so i can understand if a plane hits a building and it's on fire it weak here's the claim by nist and others and NIST is the national institute of technology that did a the investigation for the 9-11 commission they were like the engineers and the tech guys that did the investigation their claim is that the fires on these top buildings weakened the steel and allowed those top floors to collapse and their theory is called the pancake theory and it's important that our listeners understand that so what they're claiming is that the steel was weakened by the fires and it caused the collapse of a floor which then caused the next floor to collapse and and i can totally go along with that the problem is when you get to the floors below the fires that steel wasn't weakened. So mm-hmm. you have to accept the theory the, that the weight of those, however many eight floors above, caused 80 floors below, caused that steel. Here's the problem with that. I can see that in my head, the floor, bam, 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 the pancake theory. When it hits that steel that hadn't been weakened, how does it collapse straight down? It's as if the steel just disappeared. If anything, it would bend it, right? Anyway, let's get into this. So Bush only formed the 9-11 Commission after prodding from families 400 days after the attack. Max Cleland, who was a senator who was on the 9-11 Commission, literally said the commission was, these are quotes, set up to fail. Another quote by Cleland was, it's a scam. It's a senator. It's a scam. Really? White House limited the documents to be seen. The White House had total control of this report. Bush actually nominated Henry Kissinger to head the 9-11 Commission. It was only when uh, families questioned the fact that Henry Kissinger was a board member on the Carlisle Group, who we talked about before. Remember, Carlisle Mm -hmm. Group, construction tied to the bin Laden family. So the family <laughs> member said, you want to put a guy in charge who's doing business with the Bin Ladens, the chief suspect in the attack? Mm-hmm. Really? Like so, too much, huh? so, yeah, I had to back off on that. Uh, the guy who wrote the conclusion to the 9-11 report was a gentleman named Philip Zelikow, a known neocon, a member of PNAC, who we've talked about before, Project for a New America. He wrote the conclusions before the investigation began. And then when the report came out, they actually picked out any areas that contradicted the conclusions he wrote or deleted from the report. So it was a total whitewash. Six out of 10 members of the 9-11 Commission said the government lied about important details. 70% of the questions, the families were allowed to submit questions in advance of the investigation. 70% of the family's questions were ignored. That's quite a bit. Yeah. So a week before 9-11, this is just a list of just oddities that happened up to, during, and after the attacks. A week before, a company called Zim broke its lease in the World Trade Center. Now, Zim had had this lease 
in the World Trade Center for 30 years. And a week before, they broke their lease. It wasn't the end of their lease. They broke their lease and they moved out almost overnight. The Zim is owned by the Rothschilds. And we're not going to get, we don't need to get into the Rothschilds and their role in the global new world order, but they are the major player. So, I mean, that's evidence that there was foreknowledge of the attack. On the day of the attack, the FBI, all of the major terror investigators who worked for the FBI were on a retreat in California. On the day of the attack, the FBI was literally quoted, they were in chaos because there were no flights back to New York. Remember we talked about earlier, they shut all air traffic down. So all of the FBI investigators who would be the ones investigating a terror attack are all in California. Hmm. Just so happened they're on a treat. By the way, the very same day, all of the strategic air defenses for the United States were engaged in a model, in an exercise that literally was an exercise about a terror attack coming through the air on the United States. In every one of these false flags, and this was a false flag, you see that the agencies responsible for either stopping the attack or investigating it seem to be involved in some kind of training event. It happens over and over. Well, they want to find out what the, what the weak link is, you know? No, the point is, no, the point is those agencies are taken out of the picture. The point of this was mm -hmm. they weren't available that day. Right. Because they were busy. And it was the FBI, the DOD, the Strategic Air Command were on this major event. And the, just the fact that it happened to line up with a terrorist attack from the air, mm -hmm. once again, there are no conspiracies, but there are no coincidences. What's the, the chance of a coincidence that they were doing this training exercise? Look, uh, the uh, Boston bombing, the FBI and counterterrorism were conducting a fake bomb explosion during that marathon they were conducting a training exercise that very day sandy hook they were conducting a training exercise about a school shooter that very day and it goes on and on they hmm. always do this it's the sure sign that something was a false flag and yeah i'm saying sandy hook was a false flag but hmm. i'm not going to say any more than that <laughs> no <laughs> i know someone I, that got I, in I trouble for that guy mm-hmm we know a guy. <clears throat> so they kept the best agents away from the site. FEMA and the CIA, because the FBI was in California, FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Association, and CIA took control of the site, and they immediately began removing evidence. Turner Construction had done fireproofing on the three floors that were hit prior to the attack those floors lined up exactly with the impact and here's another really strange oddity about 9-11 every area that was hit the pentagon e-ring the floors in the north tower and the floors in the south tower those specific floors in the years leading up to the event had undergone major const construction events now why is that significant it could be a total coincidence it could also be that they were doing whatever it was necessary to allow them to plant explosives in those areas. Amac in the North Tower and Bovis in the South Tower were assigned to clean up. Amac, these are companies, had just finished refurb of Wedge 1 at the Pentagon, which was the attack site. So we went over in the first show that on 9-10, the day before the attack, Donald Rumsfeld announced that $2.3 trillion was missing from the Pentagon, from the Department of Defense. The officers responsible for tracking down that money was destroyed at the Pentagon. The only other office investigating was in Building 7. And you asked me before, what was the significance of Building 7? Outside of Langley, Virginia, which is the CIA headquarters, Building 7 at the World Trade Center contained the largest CIA contingency. Massive, like 10 floors. See, now I'm just pulled that out of my ass. But it was, it was the largest <laughs> the outside and, of Langley. And, 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 and yeah, all the files, investigations. Uh, building 7 was also the first building to be cleaned up and all the evidence was destroyed. Now... 
I find it very telling that Building 7 was never mentioned in the 9-11 Commission report. So if you want mm. this single thing to prove that 9-11 was a conspiracy outside of the government narrative, it's Building 7. Yeah, that's definitely something that doesn't add up. I no. think that's where people, a lot of people start their kind of well, and it's prim- yeah, exactly, and it's primarily because people question how did the towers collapse, and we've already talked about the steel and the fires, and pe- the response is, well, they were hit by a plane. No high rise has ever been hit by a plane before, which is not true. We know the Empire State Building was hit by a plane, and fires ensued. It didn't fall. That's not the point. Building seven wasn't hit by a plane. Mm-hmm. And the fires in Building 7 were not that severe. I mean, as a matter of fact, black smoke was billowing out. Black smoke tells you that a fire is at low temperature, not high. If it's high temperature, there's very little smoke because everything's being consumed. And if there is smoke, it's white. Mm-hmm. Think of they say it's white hot, right? Yeah. So hot. Building 7 was black smoke billowing mm-hmm. out. It was a low temperature fire. On, contained on the upper floors, yet the building collapsed into his footprint. And I mean, while we're talking about Building 7, remember the BBC, and we'll have to find this clip. I know you can find it. The BBC did a report, and the reporter, the the uh, the anchor breaks in and said, we're going to go live in New York. We've got a report, uh, the Solomon Brothers building, uh, in New York City, we go to report. So the reporter says, yes, we just learned that the Solomon Brothers building, which is Building 7, just collapsed. Well, guess what? In the shot, you can see Building 7 standing right behind her. Hmm. Wow. So here's, I mean, here's how it was working that day. As, as you saw in James Corbett's excellent five-minute video, he talked about within hours... There were people chirping on MSNBC, on CNN, CBS, NBC about who was responsible for the attacks. There were press releases done literally moments after the attack. Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda did. How the fuck did they know? First of all, this was the largest crime in U.S. history, right? Mm -hmm. Why wasn't the crime scene secured? It was never secured. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget this. My, my niece, sorry, I'm a little dry today. My niece, Julia, was living in Manhattan at that time. And I talked to her two days, maybe three days after the attack. And she was saying, I'm like, how are you doing? She was like, you know, the worst part for me is I was looking out the window in the middle of the night in these trucks massive dump trucks kept going by. She said there were hundreds. Mm -hmm. Now, these were obviously dump trucks removing debris from Mm 9-11. You could say, oh, this was all taken to a warehouse for the investigators to pick through. Any, like, think of an airplane crash. They, They rope it off. Every tiny little fragment is picked through by, by explosive experts, by the FBI, by engineers and techs this stuff was dumped the scrap steel was sold to china and other companies and didn't we milted. build a battleship out of it out of some of the scrap I, yeah, steel some of it i think we did if i remember right so the evidence was destroyed um numerous debunking websites as i mentioned have come up so over the years, the evidence of malfeasance has really grown. I mean, I was shocked, Russell, because I honestly, the 9-11 attack is what was my red pill moment in 2003, two years after the attack. Up to then, I was a hardcore Republican, George Bush, rah, rah, go kick their ass in, in Afghanistan. I started watching videos, and then that took me. I, I started buying some books that had first be had first be written. Anyway, it was my red pill moment to take me down the rabbit hole. When I and I'll never forget, Leanne and I watched uh, Loose Change. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best videos done, and they did several versions of it about 9/11 and the attack. She and I sitting on the end of my bed, and at the end of it, just bawling. I mean, tears, just sobbing because my whole paradigm had been broken. George Bush was no longer this leader I saw as a, you know, stalwart defender of freedom. He was a fucking crook. Mm -hmm. 
and a criminal, and they lied to us. And that was the part that hurt, man. Yeah. They lied. About 3,000 people were killed and a million were killed in the Iraq invasion alone, all based on lies. The anthrax attacks. So as we talked about in a previous show, there immediately after the attacks, anthrax, which is a horrible biological agent, was mailed to several senators and media figures. It just so happens that these politicians and those members of media were people that were asking a lot of questions about the attacks. So that anthrax was actually uh, traced as an AIM strain. That's the name of the strain. Uh, Jerome Hauer was a uh, member of the investigative team. He handled the NIH response to the attack. And Jerome Hauer had had, this came out, this is just nuts. The Bush administration had been instructed to and had been taking Cipro. I don't know if you remember Cipro. Mm -mm. Cipro was the antibiotic that was used to treat anthrax. If you're exposed to anthrax and you start taking Cipro immediately, you're going to recover. Okay, it's a really? very, very powerful antibiotic. Yeah, because anthrax is a bacterial agent. It right, does right, respond right. to antibiotics. The Bush administration were taking Cipro a week before the freaking attack. Hmm. Why was that? Hmm, there are no yeah. <laughs> conspiracies. Tom Daschle was an, one who was senator looking into the 9-11 attacks and doing a deep dive investigations. It's come out now that the Bush administration specifically asked him to limit his investigation. Uh, evidence of nanothermite. So nanothermite, people are saying, okay, the buildings fell down as a plane hit, and many have said, well, that couldn't happen, which I completely agree. There's no way that's still. So how did they do it? How did those buildings fall? This gets into the demolition. Uh, Danish scientist Niels Herrett made the discovery by examining dust from the World Trade Center, which was plentiful at this time. And you can actually see, there's pictures online, you can actually see these little globules of molten metal, and they trace it, it's nanothermite. Thermite is an explosive device, but it doesn't explode in a typical manner. It explodes. With, have you ever burned magnesium as a kid? You're having uh, fun. I think I've seen it burn. It's just well, it's not a. It's super white hot. Like you can get strips. We used to get strips of. You light it. It burns slow, but it's like white. If that touched your hand, it'd go through your skin. Wow. So thermite is the same kind of thing. I saw a a really cool demonstration of a copper disc about this big. And around the copper disc, there's little globules of this thermite and explosives. And what it does, that's placed on a steel beam. And when it explodes, it shoots this molten copper in a controlled explosion. It literally, it's like a knife through butter, cuts through a steel beam. Hmm. Uh, so NIST was asked about explosives because we talked about in the first video that many eyewitnesses, and we'll do a deeper dive in section three, but many witnesses claim there were explosions going on, including firefighters, first responders. There's thousands of witness testimony that it wasn't just the plane. They heard explosions before the attacks, during the attacks, after the attacks. So NIST, who did the major investigation was asked about explosives they claimed oh we didn't test for explosives it's like first of all that's like a what the fuck moment yeah. you didn't <laughs> test for explosives so then they were asked if they would test for explosives they said no nist refused to test for nanothermite so remember we talked about marsh mclennan who were the executives in the north tower um L. L. Paul Bremer was an executive at Marsh McLennan. He was also in the government as a counter-terror expert. Well, isn't it interesting that Bremer skipped work on 9-11? He wasn't at Marsh, where he normally would be. Instead, Bremer, within 15, 20 minutes of the attack, was on MSNBC in the studio claiming that Osama bin Laden 
and Al-Qaeda were responsible for the attacks with the help of Iraq. So immediately they were tying, they were trying to paint the narrative that Al-Qaeda was responsible, bin Laden, and that Iraq Mm -hmm. was helping them. Well, if you know your history, you know we went into Afghanistan first to destroy Al-Qaeda training camps and go after bin Laden, and then we went into Iraq because supposedly they had weapons of mass destruction. But at the time, they were trying to make the claim that Iraq was actually tied into the 9-11 attacks. That didn't work, so they had to change the narrative. It didn't work Mm. because nothing bore that out. There was no evidence that Iraq, as a matter of fact, there was plenty of evidence. We're going to get into that one of my whistleblowers. Iraq was warning us. The security in Iraq, we had a decent relationship with Iraq Mm -hmm. at the time. Well, there's tons of pictures. Rumsfeld shaking hands with Saddam Hussein, you know. Mm -hmm. So they, the Iraqi intelligence service actually warned us that there was an attack imminent. And Susan Lindauer who's one of the whistleblowers to be featured in segment three of this show, was the highest CIA asset in Iraq. She kept sending cable after cable saying, look, I'm being warned there's an attack coming. We'll get into more of that. So Bremer also demanded in that first interview that we respond with the most severe military reaction possible. Bremer later on went on to become the Iraq op- occupation governor. So after we invaded Iraq, Bremer was rewarded with this plum job. He was basically uh, like MacArthur was for Japan after World right, War II. Right. The occupation governor, I mean, that's the acting president of the country, mm-hmm. basically, because we'd sealed, we'd killed Assam, we were trying to start a new government. He was also on the board of Dresser Komatsu, Dresser Komatsu was a CIA front. Prescott Bush Sr. operated out of Dresser. Uh, They developed, Dresser Komatsu had also developed a new nanothermite demolition device that could demolish, and this is a quote from their website, a concrete and steel structure at high efficiency without compromising surrounding areas, low noise, low debris. So what the, this wow. company, CIA Front, had developed this nanothermo device that didn't cause a huge loud explosion. It was contained in that area and didn't throw debris out everywhere, which is exactly what needed to happen. If the explosions were so loud that they blew out sections of the building on the outside, people would say, oh, you see those explosions. So they needed something that would cut the steel beams but stay controlled inside the building Dresser Industries developed that technology, which was started by Prescott Bush, George Bush's grandfather. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. Various other characters worked in businesses related to defense, thermite, intel, the relatives of Bush. They were involved in secret societies. There's so many of these. There's literally hundreds, if not thousands of connections, Russell. There's no way we have time, but in doing my research, it's just one after another. Mm. This guy's related. This guy was married to this guy. It's that, you know, that cabal that we talk about of the elite. And they're not just government. A small percentage work in government. Most of them are in industries that are related to or have contracts with Intel, whether whether it's a construction company that builds outfits for the CIA, whether mm. it's one of these defense defense contractors who develop new nanothermite technology, you know, General Dynamics, Incutel, all these companies and their leaders were related. Here's a few of them. Paul Wolfowitz. He was a Quill. He was a member of Quill and Dagger, which is a secret society. And we haven't talked a lot about it, but most of these people were members of secret societies. Like Bush's were both members of Skull and Bones at Mm -hmm. Yale. Mm -hmm. He, Wolfowitz, was the Deputy Secretary of Defense under Butch. He authored the PNAC document, which I've talked about. PNAC was the project for New America in 1992 and created something called the Wolfowitz Doctrine. And this is kind of important. The Wolfowitz Doctrine said for America to maintain their position 
as the sole leader in the world that we had to use preemptive warfare. Preemptive means before. So that we literally had to strike against our enemies before they did anything to us. He made comments a few months before the attack claiming that the only way that the U.S. was going to maintain this was a new Pearl Harbor. You said that comment earlier. Well, guess who else said that? Bush said that many times after the attack. This is a new Pearl Harbor. Yeah, they were look they're painting the picture through the mockingbird media that this was an attack on the very soul of american democracy and that we had to respond i mean look we you know what happened at 9-11 and after and these horrible wars that ended up lasting for over 20 years killed millions including hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians so also wolfowitz met with the Pakistani ISI director, Mahmoud Ahmed, one week before 9-11. And so why Pakistan is really important to all this. Remember, they border Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Their intelligence services were known for some of the best and most ruthless in the world. We had the CIA and the Pakistani intelligence working very closely together. Supposedly, that's how they found Osama eventually in Pakistan. Another one of these characters, Sandy Berger. Berger served as the 19th United States National Security Advisor for Bill Clinton from 97 to 2001. Before that, he served as Deputy National Security Advisor for Clinton from 93 to 87. 2005, Sandy Berger was fined and sentenced two years of probation plus community service. And he gave up his law license for removing classified material from the National Archives. He literally went in, literally went into the National Archives and removed classified material from the 9-11 report. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal at the time. I remember when they caught him. Of course, we've never been told what those materials were because they're classified. They obviously tied Clinton or Bush or somebody to That's the attack. That's what I'm what Clinton's involvement in this little off top, but surely he's, right. was he just, I mean, he had to have known something because he, it seems like it was set up by Bush Sr. and finished by It was. By That's Bush why Jr. you see, you look at pictures of Bush all, Sr., all buddies, yeah. Jr., and Clinton, all buddy, buddy. Remember, Iran-Contra, Mena, Arkansas, the drug money happened right. while Bush Sr. was CIA under Reagan. Clinton they go was way the, back. Uh, governor there yeah. at the time. And, right? and oversaw the construction in a lot. He had, he'd set highway patrol troopers who worked directly for the governor. A lot of people don't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. They, the highway patrol answers to the governor. Clinton would send troopers to close off roads to the Mena airport when these drug drops came in. So, yeah, he goes back with the Bushes. He's a neocon. Mm. All of these neocons are, you know, part of this deal. Jeffrey Greenberg was the CEO of Marsh McLennan. He was accused of financial crimes later on. He was a member of the Trilateral Commission and the Brookings Institute, which you'll see them all the time. A lot of these NGOs, PNAC, the Brookings Institute, Trilateral Commission, and probably the most well-known, Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, all of these elites are members of these groups. Uh, Greenberg came from AIG. We talked about his father, Morris Greenberg. He was a friend of, he was best friends with Lee Hamilton. Lee Hamilton turned out to be the co-chair of the 9-11 Commission. Just making connections. Mm -hmm. Jim Pierce was a cousin of George Bush. He was CEO of a company called OAN Corp, who, according to NIST, made unknown modifications to floor 83 in the South Tower in 1997. So here's another company run by a guy related to Bush who was in the World Trade Center making some kind of modifications. Unknown. Mm -hmm. What the hell was that all about? So again, I'm just making connections. Uh, Now, here's what's really important about Pierce. Pierce had set a meeting on 9-11 in the South Tower because there were investigations 
into financial issues and other things with AON, he changed. And so he told his team to bring all their evidence to this meeting in the South Tower at 9 a.m. on 9-11. He changed the meeting location the night before. He just forgot to tell anybody except himself. Mm -hmm. They all died. Um, Joseph uh, Caputi's was a tenant in the impact zone of the WTC. Caputi's also had connections to LMI, the Logistics Management Institute. Rumsfeld, Cheney, and others were also in the same administration. Caputi's had demonstrated this guy's a total CIA asset. He always had a spooky knack for starting the right business at the right time. He had major defense contracts. He led the Primac Corporation, uh, which was known for black ops. He worked closely with NIST in their report. He had connections to Halliburton and Incutel, which Halliburton was run by Dick Cheney, mm -hmm. if you remember. Washington Group International, Morris Knudsen, they specialized in demolition, did work for the Department of uh, Defense. They filed Chapter 11 right before the attack. Payments were made to several companies which were tied to the attack. And after the attack, the Washington Group and Knudsen came back from bankruptcy and they were given all kinds of DOD contracts. So these are just people and CEOs that seem to all run in the same circles, all tied to Bush Sr., Bush Jr., defense contractors, construction people, and black ops. Giuliani, who was the mayor, Rudolph Giuliani was the mayor of New York at the time of the attacks. He became America's mayor. It's interesting to note that Giuliani spent 50 million dollars building an operations center for the New York administration if and when there was ever a terrorist attack. He spent mm. 15 million. It was located in building seven. Now if you remember the you know the North Tower burned for 30 minutes before the second tower was even hit. Giuliani and his police Commissioner Bernard Carrick never went to their terrorist bunker. This thing was a high-tech bunker with satellite communications, with steel-reinforced concrete. It was made to withstand bombs, etc. They never went there. You have to ask yourself the question, why the hell did they never get there? Um, so again, you needed Giuliani in on this, and people have speculated that Giuliani was actually one of the good guys, the White Hats, originally, because he was prosecuting the BCCI, which was a huge bank scandal in the late 80s. He eventually went to work for a law firm that represented the defense of BCCI, and people think it's at that point when he turned. Remember, we talked about 9-11 being the largest crime scene in history. Bernard Carrick, the police commissioner under Giuliani's command, should have secured the crime scene along with the FBI, CIA, yeah, immediately. Yeah. Instead, he was known to have started destroying evidence immediately, and World Trade Center 7 was the first one. They started trucking stuff out that night. Mm. Nothing should have left there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um. Bernard Carrick, you can see on videos that I watched that he, Giuliani would be asked a question. He'd go, Carrick would come whisper in his ear. Carrick was answering for him. Carrick was up to his ass in this thing. They both claimed immediately after the attacks, no explosives were used. Well, how the hell did they know that? Right. Yeah. No investigation had been done. <laughs> you, you, the, 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 the message is consistent from Giuliani and Carrick to Bush to Wolfowitz, Cheney, Rumsfeld, all of them had the same message. Al-Qaeda did it. It was done by these hijackers and no explosives were used. That was the message. Carrick's department, along with the FBI, was one of the ones that found a passport of a hijacker. This thing didn't even have burns around the edges. It was a pristine passport literally found on the sidewalk. Okay. Like just fell from the sky. Yeah. Huh? Hmm. Now, um, it might be interesting to note when when people talk about evidence that planes hit the building. What would be the first thing investigators look for in a plane crash? 
in the debris? What's what are they looking uh, for? The plane. The bo- no, the black box. Oh well, yeah. I mean, no. Yeah. If you want to know what happened, yeah. the black box, right? Mm-hmm. So apparently, a hijacker's passport survived this and fell to the ground intact. Guess what? No black boxes were ever found for the two flights that hit the towers. Well, and they're pretty much indestructible, right? They're indestructible. Now, many people, witnesses, have claimed they saw the black boxes. And all that, I mean, uh, yeah, I doubt it. Well, I don't know. Maybe they did. The point is, if they were found, the government covered it up and said they were destroyed. Now, these things are supposed to be indestructible. So... Um, Carrick declined the position of Homeland Security. He was sent, remember we talked about L. Paul Bremer became the Iraqi occupation governor? Mm-hmm. Well, Carrick was given the plum job of training the Iraqi police force. All these people were rewarded, even though they should have been castigated or thrown in prison for failing. You know, I'll never forget Condoleezza Rice and George Bush saying no one could have ever imagined that planes would be flown into a building, despite the fact that the DOD, the CIA, and several other agencies had warned in the years leading up the attack, it is likely that passenger jets will be hijacked and used to attack the United States by flying the plane into a building as an explosive device. Well, that sounds pretty specific. I want to bring up one point about that real quick that I didn't have in my notes, but I think we talked about another show. During the 70s and the early 80s, there was a rash of hijackings. It was so common that it seemed like once a week a plane would get hijacked. And so, and a lot of it was uh, Cuban terrorists, so-called you know, communist sympathizers and, and, and Middle Eastern terror people. They'd hijack a plane. They'd either blow it up or they'd fly it somewhere to get a ransom. In the late 80s, or maybe it was in the 90s, I could be wrong. These attacks, these hijackings stopped. Why did they stop? Well, according to many that are in the know, the Department of Defense, in collaboration with airline industries, had developed remote control of airplanes they had it wasn't remote controls much they had an ability to take yeah it was to take over an airplane that was being hijacked so these Mm. hijackers the word got out you can't doesn't work anymore right you can't hijack a plane because the pilots will lose control and whoever's controlling on the ground where it's air traffic department of defense cia military whoever they'll just land the plane at the first airport Mm -hmm. so the hijackings just stop in the 90s, from 1995 to 2001, there were zero hijackings. How is it that on 9-11, all of a sudden, we had three planes hijacked? At once. Yeah. Great question. I never hear anyone talk about that. That's just something I kind of turned up Yeah. in my research. So, uh, by the way, as a side note to Bernard Carrick, he was later charged and served several years financial crimes unrelated to 9-11. He was a bad guy. And now it's funny, people like Steve Bannon, who I like, the War Room podcast, he holds Bernard Carrick up as this great guy. And Giuliani. Remember, Giuliani yeah. was Trump's lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I can't help, you know, I, as you know, I supported Trump, but and and I do believe there was massive voter fraud in 2020. But, you know, every time I see Giuliani, I think back to 9-11. He was up to his ass in that. It kind of seems weasel. like an ass kisser to he's me. He's a weasel. Yeah. He's whoever a criminal, said, he, in my opinion. is in, in power, he's going to suck up to. So the Pentagon, let's talk about that for a second. Remember, we talked about how the North Wing was the really important wing. But they didn't attack that. They, they attacked this other site that happened to hold all the financial records for the missing $2.3 trillion. Amac, a company we talked about earlier tied to the Bushies, was hired to do the cleanup. The wing in the Pentagons we already talked about was uh, housed the ONI and the Department of Defense Accounting. The comptroller of the Pentagon's financial accounting was a guy named Dove Zackheim. Now, Dove, he's a cool cat. <laughs> Once again, major player in the neocon movement, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and 
and PNAC. And we talked about PNAC several times, Project for a New American Century. So he's a member of CFR and PNAC. He wrote the line in the PNAC document about a new Pearl Harbor. Dove Zakheim is the one that literally wrote that line that Bush then picked up on. You even picked up on mm-hmm. it. He mm-hmm. was involved with a company, SBC, that developed technology called the Flight Termination Systems that we just talked about. Used to control, control and destroy flights remotely up to 500 miles. So Dove Zakheim was in charge of a company that developed the technology. Once again, just as we showed that uh, Prescott Bush was in control of a company, developed a nanothermite. Yeah, and uh, sounds a lot like a drone to me. Yeah, Absolutely, and when we'll show pictures of those planes as we get into the third part, you can see the technology underneath these planes that were flying into the World Trade Center. They every multiple eyewitnesses reported that yeah, I saw a plane, but it wasn't a passenger plane. It looked like a military plane. Some people reported them as black. I think we've even got a picture of. Um, one of the planes yeah now this isn't a very good picture but when the people that have in, i don't know you might be able to go in on that you can see you can't really see it in this picture there are better pictures that show this cylinder now you can look at look at the color of that the the plane that supposedly flew into the building was white that ain't a white plane yeah and all Maybe the, a little shadowy, but it's even the lighter parts you, look pretty dark. You can see the little cylindrical thing kind of at the bottom. It's really highly pixelated. Uh, There's better right pictures here. than that. No. This year? Like in the mid, right there. Right there. That little thing come right there. Yeah. See if that. Right know. behind the wings. It's actually on the underneath of the plane. But anyway, right, right. that's the device they're able to um, remotely control it. And we'll see if we can find the video for part three, but there's a killer close-up video of this, Russ. That plane, you can see the tip of it exploding before it hits the building. Now, Mm. other people claim there's two theories on this. Number one, that remote planes were used, like a drone to fly, and the other one is no planes were used and that they were actually holographic images. Ooh, Which we know one. we have the technology to do that. Yeah, I do. But anyway, this video, it is at a long distance away, but we watched it several times. You can't see any a plane. All of a sudden, you see this explosion. You see a little dot right before the explosion. Mm-hmm. It could just be that it was far away. But here's another interesting thing about Dove Zakheim. He, under his department in the Pentagon, he was given in charge of a fleet of 767s, the same kind of plane that supposedly flew into the towers in the Pentagon. They had this fleet that were installed with this remote devices to use for training and for exercises. Think about it. Think about the amount of explosives that could be planted on a 767. Mm, yeah. So they have the ability to remotely control it. Let's say you were, you know, in... Iraq. Say we wanted to blow up a or a cave in Afghanistan, fly a sixty-seven, sixty-seven yeah. <laughs> full of TNT. The equipment is identical to the retrofitted planes used by Dove Zakheim. People have, have made the point that when you look at the technology that he developed and that was installed on the planes he was in charge of in the Pentagon, it looks exactly like the planes in the video from 9-11. So you can see the pod, and we'll show that video on the next show. But So we made a lot of connections in these part one and part two. And in part three, we're going to talk about how the actual even more evidence and the foreshadowing. We're going to get into a little bit more deep dive on the whistleblowers because I think their testimony is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, people that were involved and that have testified at great danger and every one of them has been harmed. They've either been fired, blackballed, some of them been murdered. I mean, this, this is like the Kennedy assassination. What a hundred people associated that have been murdered. Same thing with nine 11 witnesses. The government doesn't want this to come out. Mm-hmm. I think we've gotten to a point though, Russ, where it's been so long. Like I said, 
off air, you can now find these videos that yeah. once were censored. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, we just aged out of it. We did. We're trying to inform our audience. It's maybe of younger or maybe older that never looked into this. Mm -hmm. Guys, our government planned an event that killed 3,000 people and led to 20 years of war that killed millions. Just to say it's for money, more or less. Yeah, for money and Power. control. The yeah. Patriot Act, which we hadn't even talked about. Right, yeah. That was passed right after 9-11 that gave the government the power to surveil us. It gave the government power to arrest you without habeas corpus, mm -hmm. without access to a lawyer. We're going to talk about one of the, in the next part, Susan Lindauer was arrested, spent a year in prison. First person arrested under the Patriot Act was an American woman who was a CIA asset that all she did was went to Congress. Well, wouldn't that make it really easy to tie up loose ends if you had right. a wide-sweeping surveillance and habeas and, corpus yeah, exactly. smoking act? Right. Anybody that speaks out, ah, we just rest you under the Patriot Act. And the Patriot Act is still part of the defense authorization bill that's passed every year. And many, many people from Rand Paul to Lee Smith have said, and Congress have said, this thing needs to be, it should be gone. Right. There should be no Patriot Act. Here's the problem. When you give governments powers, they don't relinquish them mm -hmm. ever. They just build off of it. Right sucks so this last show uh we're going to tie it all together for you and we'll never cover it all but we're going to give you a pretty pretty compelling case that 9-11 was indeed not committed by but certainly facilitated by our government please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast it really helps us a lot and as much as i hate the mantra hit the like button mm. that helps too That's all these silly things that other podcasters yeah. say That's how they that's how we grow yeah and if you feel if you feel like you can spare some loose change or a buck or 10 or 100 we'd love it if you'd support our work we have mm -hmm. on spotify we have a button a link that you can donate to the show uh you know probably the most important thing in helping us grow is just share this video yeah absolutely and we'll have uh we'll have some shorts out we've got a new show coming up soon that mm -hmm. we'll talk more about in the next event but we appreciate all you do for us our listeners and i appreciate you yep. my friend Sounds good, man. see we'll you see next you. time bye